We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hi everybody, my name's Priscilla. And my name is Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. And our usual disclaimers, so a quick reminder that we are trained psychologists, but this podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. We also acknowledge that we're speaking as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily as people with lived experience of the mental health issues we'll be covering today. Our voices are limited this way. Please stay tuned at the end of this episode for more information about these issues, including writing from people with lived experience. Today, we are reviewing Small Spaces by Sarah Epstein. Small Spaces tell the story of Tash Carmody, who has been traumatized since childhood, when she witnessed her gruesome imaginary friend Sparrow lure young Mallory Fisher away from a carnival. At the time, nobody believed Tash, and she has since come to accept that Sparrow wasn't real. Now 15 and mute, Mallory's never spoken about the week she went missing. As disturbing memories resurface, Tash starts to see Sparrow again. And she realizes Mallory is the key to unlocking the truth about a dark secret connecting them. Does Sparrow exist after all? Or is Tash more dangerous to others than she thinks? And about the author? Mm -hmm. So Sarah Epstein is an award-winning Australian author, illustrator and designer who grew up in suburban Sydney and now lives in Melbourne with her husband, two sons and a rescue dog. After achieving a design degree and enjoying a 25-year graphic design career, Sarah returned to her first loves of writing and illustrating. Small Spaces is her debut novel and has won a number of awards and has been optioned for film. Sarah's suspenseful new YA mystery, Deep Water, was released in April 2020. And quick note, of course, that we are a spoiler podcast, so we will be spoiling what happens in Small Spaces, so time to tune out now if you don't want to know what happens at the end. I'll also just make a quick note too that we are using new microphones today for this episode so things might sound a little bit different particularly as we get used to them and figure out exactly how to set them up properly Mm. so I think we've done okay but if you're wondering why things sound a little different this episode we're just playing around and want to make sure we have even better audio quality moving forwards. Yeah this microphone looks amazing. We are, yeah, they're they're pretty funky new microphones, so I think they will make a difference, and at least they look pretty. So we chose this book, firstly, because I loved it, and I never mm-hmm. love a psychological thriller. So Yeah, this feels very outside of your comfort zone, Priscilla. Yes, very much so. But I'm glad I picked it up for reasons that we'll go into in a moment. But I wanted to discuss the the bad therapy that happened in this book, which also happens a lot in books and TV. So I think it's important for us to discuss an example of it. Mm-hmm. I also think that this book has an excellent, excellent portrayal of gaslighting and the impact of mental health stigma on the person who has mental health issues. Yeah, for sure. Tash doesn't have a great time in this episode, does she? No, <laughs> Poor girl. <laughs> yeah, poor girl. Um, yeah, on that topic of bad therapy, it's such a trope to have a therapist 
who isn't very good at their job mm. in books and TV and film. And sometimes that is deliberate, mm. I'd say, by the author. And sometimes it's more just people sort of assuming perhaps that they know what happens in therapy. Mm. Um, I think this one's good because it's sort of that purposeful portrayal of bad therapy. Yeah, that's right. So let's be clear that when I'm angry at the therapy that happens in this book, it's not at the way it's written. No, definitely not. Very, I think it's very well written, as we'll get into later, mm-hmm. but it does induce a lot of rage. <laughs> so do you want to talk about how you originally came across this book? I have seen small spaces uh, floating around on Twitter and Instagram, but I very much don't read anything remotely scary. So that wasn't, I didn't pay a lot of attention to those posts until I went to, I think it was YA Day hosted by the YA Room in Melbourne. And Sarah Epstein was one of the panelists there. I can't remember what she discussed at that time, but I remember being intrigued enough to buy a copy and get it signed. And of course, once you've got a signed copy, you have to read it. Uh, Yeah, you're contractually obliged. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, okay, I can do this. So I read it on a plane, I think, on a holiday. And I was so hooked. I finished it in like two days. Yeah. And then you lent your precious signed copy to me. (laughs) And (laughs) I tried very hard not to uh, damage the spine, but I think I might have um done that sorry (laughs) but uh yeah I also read it in about two days once you lent it to me and then thought we have to cover this for the podcast this is great yeah so there are a few mental health issues that the book includes and they are trauma claustrophobia mutism panic attacks drug use abusive relationships including invalidation and gaslighting very bad therapy and stigma or discrimination. And an additional trigger warning for today's episode. So some of the traumatic events in this book include instances of violence, kidnapping, house fire, and animal cruelty. So just a warning about what's coming up today. Let's get started. We've got a lot to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Okay. So... The book opens with Tash experiencing claustrophobia in a small ice cream shop in the town of Port Bellamy. Her best friend Sadie is hoping to impress a girl who works in the shop. Before Sadie could order, however, a group of girls enters the shop, including a girl called Rachel Tan. Rachel is an ex-friend turns mean girl who cuts in line in front of Sadie. Tash is desperate to get away, but Sadie won't let it slide, so... Naturally, Rachel insults both of them and humiliates Tash by revealing in front of everyone that Tash once wet herself during a sleepover and spoke in her sleep about someone named Sparrow. Tash is now upset. Mm, Mm. Understandably. Yeah, I really like this scene because it sets up the book so well. Like we see Tash's anxiety in the small space. Mm -hmm, Small space. Already we're getting to small spaces. (laughs) So the atmosphere is immediately tense and we're also shown uh, the stigma attached to mental health issues as well as a bit of her history right away. 
We also see Sadie protecting Tash, both by telling her to take deep breaths and standing up for her. Mm, yeah, I got the impression quite early that Sadie was a pretty decent friend to mm, Tash. Yeah. Um, you can tell that she has her back and that she's helped Tash through this experience of anxiety and panic before. So it's a pretty um, often recommended suggestion that if you're having a panic attack to try to slow down your breathing uh, because, you know, reducing that hyperventilation tells the body to calm down that you're not in danger. It's obviously much easier said than done to get out of that headspace. So as the novel progresses, we begin to learn about a girl named Mallory Fisher So Mallory was taken from a carnival when she was about six years old and she actually disappeared for seven days. Eventually she resurfaced in a national park but she never spoke another word. The fishers then left town and we learn that Tash has a bit of a connection to the family. We start to learn about Mallory through the use of the the news article, so kind of flashing back to what was happening and how it was being reported at the time. Yeah, I love the use of news articles and transcripts in this book. It's such a good way of giving information without info jumping through a character. We also learn about Tasha's family. She lives with her mother, father, and a nine-year-old brother, Tim. Tasha's mother doesn't seem to trust Tash to be capable of much. Their father also has a sister called Ali, described as a bohemian art hippie type. They do not get along. Mm, no. <laughs> Tash's mother, at this point of the story, is worried about Tash waitressing at an upcoming party at the Fishers. Yeah, so you know, Tash's mother's lack of trust is, I guess, understandable once you sort of learn more about what actually happened to Tash and the family. But it is very frustrating to read, even if it might come from a good place. Yeah, absolutely. And so as the novel progresses, we start to piece together more of the backstory about Tash and her connection to Mallory Fisher. Essentially, when Tash was about eight or nine, she was sent to her Aunt Ellie's house um, so that her parents could adjust to the birth of her little brother, Tim. While Tash was staying there, this strange man began visiting her at night So Tash described that he would sit on the windowsill, tilting his head to one side like a curious sparrow and was really quite scary looking with rotten teeth, sores and pale skin. And this man would tell her to be quiet and say that they'd play a game together, telling her to close her eyes and to count to 50. And eventually she fell asleep and he was gone in the morning and she told Ellie about it the next day, but Ellie told her that it had just been a dream. Um, and that Tash had called her into the bedroom because she was having a nightmare. Tash doesn't remember doing this, though. Mm. Allie's the worst. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at this stage, we don't we don't really know what's happened, but uh, it's not painting a very sympathetic picture towards Ellie. Yeah. Um, in any case, Sparrow keeps visiting Tash in the house at night, and At one stage, he actually lures her into the garden during the day and almost drowns her in, I think, a river or um, a waterhole down the bottom of the garden, which is a really scary scene to read about, I've got to say. Things culminate at a carnival where Sparrow attempts to take Tash away. However, he is unable to do this and eventually 
takes another girl, Mallory Fisher, little sister of Tash's friend Morgan. Tash provides a police statement after the disappearance, claiming that she had watched Mallory being taken from the carnival. The police appear to have dismissed this, as there is no mention of a suspect anywhere in news report following Mallory's disappearance, and it's presumed that she's wandered away from the carnival. Present-day Tash is embarrassed of this police statement, believing that she made up the story for attention. Mm. So it's not clear to the reader at this stage whether Sparrow is real or not. Um, mm. So you know, Tash tried to explain what she saw to others. No one believed her. And Tash explains uh, to the reader that she has come to the understanding that Sparrow is actually an imaginary friend that she invented when Tim was born, which is supported by her psychiatrist. So this is um, Dr. Ingrid Ballantine, who she started seeing when she was eight years old, shortly after Mallory's disappearance. So we get transcripts of their sessions from when Tash was about eight until 17 or present day. Yeah. We also learned that Dr. Ingrid is of the opinion that Tash made, made up Sparrow because she was jealous of the new baby and wanted attention from her parents. And her symptoms like the bedwetting and the panic attacks are all made up for attention. (sighs) You have to read the transcript to understand why it's so frustrating, I feel. But we will try to explain why. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I really noticed was Dr. Ingrid never outright states that she doesn't believe Tasha's version of events. But she asks lots of closed leading questions. So things like... So you really needed a friend? Do you think you do or say things sometimes to get attention from your mom and dad? Do you feel like your teacher and classmates don't pay you enough attention? They're leading because they're they're leading Tash to respond in a certain way and there's such a presumption that's built into those questions. Mm. So oh, that's something that we learn quite early on when you're studying to be a therapist to avoid these types of questions that you should be asking more open-ended questions that allow for more of a natural response instead of a, a leading to a certain response. And Dr. Ingrid also doesn't seem to pay attention to Tasha's story. So at one stage, she keeps calling Sparrow Tasha's friend, even though Tash is clearly scared of him. Mm. Dr. Ingrid never seems to explore Tasha's story. Rather, she keeps reminding Tash that they've talked about the difference between truth and fiction. All these sessions made me so angry. Me too. Mm. Mm. Psychiatrists and psychologists are in a position of power. And to entirely dismiss a child's experience in this way is so damaging. We see this in the way Tash, present-day Tash, distrusts her own mind and questions everything that she remembers. Yeah, like it's pretty clear that Dr Ingrid decided pretty early on that Tash was making up this story, that Sparrow was an imaginary friend, that Tash was just inventing all of this for attention and didn't seem to consider that there could be truth to this. Mm. And this is a little girl who... Whether or not this actually happened, we don't know early in the story, but this is a little girl who has been quite traumatised, is really scared of what's going on, and there's just so much invalidation and 
mm. gaslighting, which should probably explain what gaslighting means mm. as well, um, that kind of leads to this longer-term impact of the trauma, so almost being re-traumatised again and again. Mm. Gaslighting isn't just lying. Gaslighting is really all about making some manipulating someone. Yeah, it's essentially one person manipulating another so that they stop sort of believing their own experiences, so questioning their own memory, their own judgments, their own perceptions. And it's a form of abuse. Mm. Um, you know, of course people can do this accidentally, It's but we're, we're very much talking about when this is happening, happening purposefully, when you're actually telling someone that didn't happen or, oh, you must be making this up. And, yeah, yeah it's pretty awful to see a psychiatrist doing this to a little girl. Yeah. So I suppose we should say that uh, that Dr. Ingrid doesn't seem to be gaslighting in this instance because she doesn't know what really happened. Mm-hmm. But she's very much invalidating Tasha's experience or memories. Yeah, absolutely. It's not um it's not technically gaslighting, but we it's the it's the word that comes to mind. Mm. <laughs> Look, the book the book doesn't present this as okay, though, does it? No, and that's that's the the thing that I love about this book, and that these things obviously are terrible and they are presented as such. Anyway, back to the plot. So Tash describes that her mum got sick of the nightmares about Sparrow for months afterwards, and her family start to believe too that this is all part of the ongoing attention-seeking behaviour. Um, and yeah, Tash describes that she was actually terrified of Sparrow coming back and getting her or hurting her in some way. Oh, it's so sad. I know. And it just it makes me even angrier because it feels like all these adults are failing her. Mm, definitely. And so following her encounters with Sparrow and Mallory Fisher's disappearance, um, Tash experiences what she calls a childhood of psychiatric appointments and panic attacks. She ends up becoming quite claustrophobic and frequently has panic attacks at school. And as demonstrated by Rachel at the start of the story in the ice cream shop, Tash sort of becomes known for these panic attacks in quite a negative way. So her anxiety is stigmatised as being attention-seeking. And when she experiences an episode of claustrophobia at one point in the story, she has students asking her if she's the crazy girl and people mimicking hyperventilation around her, that kind of thing. And it's just astounding how much stigma there is. But, you know, I'd like to think that things are getting better in terms of mental health stigma, but we know that realistically it's still pretty profound how much it impacts people mm-hmm. um, and particularly when things get more complex. You know, it's bullying what's mm. happening. And I think it's that word, attention-seeking. Once you slap that on someone, you you don't see their symptoms as genuine. And then, yeah, her mother also thinks she's attention-seeking too. So, And, yeah, her mum doesn't trust Tash to look after herself, um, even though Tash is quite determined to prove her wrong and Mm -hmm. she wants to be able to go away to university and have a fresh start once she finishes school too. Yeah, and like you, I am torn about Tash's mum on one hand, a lot of what she's trying to do is about protecting Tash. And it seems a lot of her attitude towards Tash and her difficulties 
is due to what she's been told by professionals, such as Dr. Ingrid. Mm-hmm. And it would have been difficult dealing with a new baby and a child with panic attacks. But there's just this dismissal towards Tash that's really frustrating to read. It goes back to the belief that she's attention-seeking and therefore can stop whenever she wants. Yeah, exactly. So in the present day, Tash is starting year 12. So with Mallory's disappearance fresh on her mind, she's on edge and tends to think that Sparrow is following her. And then throughout the book, a series of disturbing events happen. So first of all, a dead Sparrow shows up on her doorstep and then eventually a box of Sparrows show up. And at one point, Tash loses her little brother in a shopping centre after believing that she saw Sparrow in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just really scary mm-hmm. things that are happening and that make Tash kind of question herself too. Yeah. And then throughout the book, Tash renews a friendship with Morgan Fisher, so that's Mallory's older brother, but ends up being quite suspicious of him too. And because she's starting to see Morgan again, she starts seeing Mallory again, even though they haven't really had any interaction before or at least not since the kidnapping yeah so because tash doesn't even trust herself it's hard to know who to who to trust which is exactly what you want from a psychological thriller tash is an unreliable narrator and experiencing a lot of paranoia as a result of all of the gaslighting that she's experienced where she feels that she can't trust herself Mm. so There's a lot of um, questions happening throughout the book about what happened, who's to blame, is Sparrow real, did somebody else take Mallory, and so on. Yeah, and what's Tasha's role in all of this as well. Yeah, definitely. Ali invites Tash back to Willow Creek, which is her house, to stay for a few days and look after Benny the dog while she goes on a yoga retreat. Tash is somewhat anxious about returning to the place where she met Sparrow, but wants breathing space from her parents and a chance to prove her independence. So she says yes. At Willow Creek, Tash confronts Ali about what happened when she was eight. In flashbacks, we learn that Ali had told her her parents might think something is glitchy inside her head if Tash told them about Sparrow. She told Tash that Sparrow should be their little secret and to not talk about him anymore. Present-day Allie is defensive. Tash reminds her that Allie had left her for five hours at the carnival alone. Allie, again, says that Tash had been acting out for attention at the time and she had told Tash's parents about everything else she'd made up, quote-unquote. After Tash told her parents that she'd seen Mallory kidnapped. Mm. I made so many air quotes while I was reading that. No <laughs> one could see me. Yeah, air quotes aren't the best for this uh, audio medium. <laughs> oh. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In any case, uh, more disturbing events continue to happen. So first of all, Benny the dog becomes injured on Tasha's watch mm. and the vet suggests that this was a deliberate act. Um, Tash finds missing calls from her phone to Mallory's in the early morning but doesn't remember making them. And then later in the book, someone attacks Rachel Tan soon after she and Tash have an argument after a birthday party. But then later down the track, Tash finds Rachel's phone in her belongings, wondering how on earth did that get there because Mm -hmm. she doesn't know how that could happen unless she had been the person who attacked Rachel but has no memory of attacking Rachel. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Um, I should probably mention at this point that we learn more about Mallory too as the story goes along. Mm. So we, we get bits and pieces based on what Morgan has said, but um, by this point Mallory and Tash have had some communication. So Mallory, um, you know, she's I think 15 by now mm. and she is still, as you would expect, quite affected by being taken as a child. Yeah. Mallory tells Tash that she has something called traumatic mutism. So um, they communicate by text message. So Mallory, Mallory doesn't talk, essentially. Mm. So as she says to Tash, every time the police tried to question me about what happened, I'd seize up. And ever since then, it's like my brain just doesn't know how to do it anymore. I block on words and end up gaping like a goldfish. She also tells Tash that she has something called dissociative amnesia. So she's been told that although she has memories of what happened to her, they're deeply buried in her mind and you know can be triggered, but she can't sort of recall them intentionally. So I actually looked into these labels to see if they're accurate or not. Mm-hmm. So I looked at traumatic mutism and found some information on it. From what I can find is that it is possible for a child to become mute as part of a post-traumatic stress, but usually the child avoids talking about aspects of the trauma itself or has difficulty talking in environments where there were no issues before, rather than becoming completely silent. And this sort of um, difficulty speaking about an event or in certain environments is not to be mistaken for selective mutism, which is more about anxiety. It is a misconception that those with, with selective mutism have been traumatized. Where I'm actually surprised about this one, dissociative amnesia actually is in the DSM-5. DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th edition, which is basically the book that mental health professionals go to for diagnostic criteria for mental health Mm. issues. Some people call it the Bible for mental health professionals. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although, yeah, it does have a lot of um, issues with it and 
mm. controversies, but in any case. Mm. I want to say just like the actual Bible, but I think that's... Just like the actual Bible. So maybe it is a pretty good uh, <laughs> analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose I'm surprised because dissociative amnesia is such a trope in thrillers and mysteries. Yeah, mm. I think, you know, it is real. It does happen, mm. but it's just not very common. So essentially it is the inability to recall autobiographical information, usually after a traumatic or a stressful event. So this amnesia might be specific to an an event or a period of time or just a specific aspect of the event, or it can be quite generalised, like what a lot of people think of when they hear amnesia, so actually losing a sense of identity and life history and all of your memories. But um, in any case, it's just dif- it's different to normal forgetting. It's actually sort of loss of a period of time. Mm-hmm. Mallory, she has this as a response to the trauma she went through, um, although, of course, we don't know what actually happened. She doesn't know what happened mm-hmm. either. So this response, it is possible. It's just not particularly common. It's not sort of classic PTSD, mm-hmm. which we have talked about um, in our ACAMAP episode yeah. a little bit more. So yeah, although we do get a hint of some other sort of more classic trauma reactions too. So for example, Mallory is hypervigilant, which means that she's very jumpy and easily startled. And that's quite a common trauma reaction often within PTSD. But yeah, we uh, it's not from Mallory's point of view. So we sort of don't get a sense of many of the, mm. the more um, invisible aspects of PTSD like the thought processes that might be happening Mm. so Tasha is quite disturbed after finding Rachel's phone in her belongings and the night before a dinner party ends up drinking wine to soothe her nerves and shows up quite drunk to the Fisher's place which is not a good look unfortunately so Mallory went back with Tash that night and they're drinking while they're talking and this is at Willow Creek? Yes, this is at Willow yep. Creek. Um, and they're both pretty, pretty drunk when they fall asleep. When Tash wakes up, Mallory's gone. She's in the bathroom. She can't remember how she got there. And she finds scrape marks on her ankles. Tash is afraid that she's done something to Mallory without realizing. She calls Sadie for help. And while waiting for Sadie to arrive, she pokes around Willow Creek. She discovers that Allie lied about her yoga retreat and had visited someone named Patrick Jonas in prison. Turns out Patrick Jonas was sentenced to 11 years in prison with a non-parole period of nine years for the commercial supply of ice. Tash realizes that Patrick Jonas was arrested four days after Mallory disappeared and three days before she was found. Tash realizes then, during a Google search, that the photos of people who use eyes are similar to her memories of what Sparrow looks like. Okay, so um, here is the point where I started to get a little bit critical of the story um I was like fully on board and invested up until this point but um my sort of concern here which I might talk about a little bit more later on but mm-hmm. essentially we've learned here that Sparrow is Patrick Jonas um 
and Patrick is an ice user mm-hmm. and that is pretty much his entire motivation for kidnapping, manipulating, mm-hmm. hurting young girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose my overarching concern here is that I think it's a bit of a stereotype mm-hmm. to assume that people who use drugs, particularly people who use methamphetamine, are in some way evil mm-hmm. um, or inherently immoral. So I might talk about this a little bit more when I come to my overall review of this episode. But, yeah, I just wanted to flag that now that I wasn't really a big fan of this sort of being his inherent motivation for, or at least the the only sort of portrayed motivation Mm -hmm. for him to be this evil boogeyman type of character. Yeah, that's fair enough. Now, at this point in the plot, Tash hears noises and she decides to check the cellar. There, she finds Mallory and Allie held hostage. Gotta say, it's pretty terrifying at this point because, yeah, (laughs) my God, she's completely freaked out and Mallory's like knocked out in this animal cage. Mm. Allie's been there a while as well. Like yeah. it's very, oh, it's it's very spooky. Yeah, and it it completes the picture of Willow Creek as this haunted house. Mm, definitely secret secret cellar <laughs> for kidnapping. <Ugh>. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Allie reveals that Sparrow is is Patrick Jonas, and that Allie had known all along that this is the case yet told everyone that Tash had been lying. Ali also reveals that Patrick was his high school sweetheart who became addicted to ice, but Ali herself was an ice dealer, and Patrick was stealing from her supply. They, naturally, got into trouble with Ali's supplier. Patrick came up with a plan to abduct Tash and extort money from her dad, but he was also planning to kill her. They couldn't take Tash, so he took Mallory instead, also planning to kill her. Allie got scared, so she got Patrick arrested and set Mallory free in a national park. Mm. Allie has made a a series of terrible decisions. Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This this is a six-year-old that she set free. To wander in a national park. Yeah. I mean, like, she obviously has some tiny piece of her that mm-hmm. is still, you know, ethical yeah. and didn't want to hurt this six-year-old girl. But, you know, she's in pretty deep at that point. Mm. <laughs> yeah. She drew the line at murder but not kidnapping. It's okay to traumatise the child, just not to murder the child. Yeah. Back to present day, where she tells Tash that Tash is Patrick's plaything, and Patrick gets off on making her afraid. Hence the things that he's been doing, like all the dead sparrows. Turns out, Tash hasn't made up anything after all. Patrick returns back to Willow Creek, intending mm. to set the place on fire, um, you know, conveniently wiping out victims Mm -hmm. and the people who know the truth behind Mm -hmm. what actually happened but 
After a struggle, Tash, Ali and Mallory manage to escape while the house is burning, trapping Patrick inside. Mm, That's also really scary. You know, the villain of the story, the obvious villain of the story, ends up burning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, he he ends up dying at the end. But, you know, is he really the villain of the story? Mm, Not in my opinion. (laughs) No. (sighs) Uh, Look, Mm -hmm. Ali does get some comeuppance, though. Uh, so the truth comes out Ali's arrested for being an accessory to Mallory's abduction everybody learns that Tash was telling the truth towards the end of the book Tash attends another therapy session with Dr Ingrid tells her that she has trust issues because the people who were supposed to help her didn't believe her and asks for a referral to a new psychiatrist yes yes (laughs) yes you go Tash yeah (laughs) Yeah, I I do wish that Dr. Ingrid had acknowledged her own part in this, but at least Tash understands now that it wasn't her, it was the people around her. Yeah. Um, Look, I do get that what Tash was saying was likely to be quite unbelievable, but, Mm. I mean, it's not impossible what happened to her. And even if the adults hadn't maybe believed all of the elements of the story, I certainly wish they had investigated this more than they had instead of immediately dismissing it it's just it's so awful poor Mm. thing but I'm really happy that by the end of the book at least Tash has some validation she's not she's not kind of recovered from everything by the end but you can tell that her relationships are starting to heal a little Mm. bit and she's feeling more hopeful about the future and there's a line where she says that her small spaces are expanding with possibilities. So, mm. you know, I would imagine that there would still be a few years of work to recover from what happened yeah. and whether or not she can fully recover, I don't know. But at least we know that she's safe and mm. she is finally being believed, which is pretty powerful, I think. What are your favourite moments, Elise? I had one standout part, in case you hadn't guessed already, which was the point where Tash says that she, that she needs a referral for a new psychiatrist. I think I actually punched the air when yeah. I read that. <laughs> <laughs> and I quite liked sort of the moments where Mallory was, I guess, explaining what happened mm-hmm. um, and sort of how she has adapted to life being unable to talk. So... Um, you know, she still has like a personality and interests and so on, but she just has to communicate via her phone instead of talking out loud. So mm. um, obviously the trauma's affected her significantly, but I thought it was nice to see just how how she had been able to adapt. Um, mm. Yeah, I thought that was good. I love those moments too. Sarah Epstein's writing is amazing in this book. She did such a good job managing the tension in the story. The standout example for me is the food court scene where Tash thinks she sees Sparrow and runs after him. When she comes back, him's missing. There are a lot of moments like that, especially towards the end, where, well, I was anyway, on the edge of my chair not being able to put this book down. (laughs) So, star rating, Mm -hmm. what would you give this out of five? So I've decided on a 4.5 stars. I gave this five stars when I first finished it because it made me a true scaredy cat (laughs) keep reading until the end. 
the story completely sucked me in, and I just had to know what the answers were. Part of why I really enjoyed the portrayal of bad therapy in this is because it's a good reminder that mental health professionals are powerful. You know, people are vulnerable when they come to see us, and they look to us to help make sense of things. You know, we may not always see the effects right away, but what、mm-hmm. we say and do in these sessions really matter. We have an impact on someone else's life, and it's a huge responsibility to make sure that that effect is a positive one. The reason I took off a half star is because I, after discussing it with you, I take your point about Sparrow's characterization. My sense when I first finished this book is that the real bad guys are the adults who were supposed to protect and help Tash.、Um, yeah, perhaps making a man into a boogeyman isn't the best way to avoid stereotyping people in that category. All right, what about your star rating? I gave this book four stars out of five. I found it very, very sinister, very creepy. And it really messed with my, my mind. I really liked the characters a lot, and I really liked the portrayal of the impact of the trauma on Tash over time. And I thought the story as a whole was very intriguing and well put together. My, I did take off one star because of, as I've mentioned, my concerns about Sparrow's characterization. So, to expand on that a little bit further, it's such a stereotype for. People who use drugs to be portrayed as evil, immoral, or just downright mean,、um, and the reality is that a lot of people who use drugs, including people who use ice or crystal methamphetamine, do not fit that stereotype. And you know, people who hold jobs, who have relationships, who have hobbies, who are good people, but happen to use drugs for various reasons, and some of those might be because of Addiction, you know, a chemical dependence that they might have on the drug, but for for others, you know, people can use drugs for, you know, because it's fun. People can use drugs because of boredom. People can use drugs because of pressure, because of, you know, a- abusive people who、mm-hmm. have forced it upon them, because of the circumstances that they're in and what's normal for them and their group of friends or their family or their culture. So. There are so many reasons why people may use drugs, and it's not always、mm. a choice as well. It's not a pure black and white kind of thing. And what I find frustrating about portrayals like Sparrows and other portrayals, it just it really fits the stereotype、um, to quite an extreme sense. So in this case, Sparrow is described as being like a drug addict or drug adult. Adult. He's described as looking terrifying as well. And although people who use drugs Do often have a physical impact on their appearance. Again, it doesn't always look that way. You can't tell whether someone's a drug user just by looking at them.、No. And it's certainly not the case that all people who use ice are going to be kidnapping children、uh, or or using them to extort finances. So, yeah, I just I find portrayals like this quite frustrating, and I would like to see more nuanced and empathetic portrayals. I. Would have forgiven this a little bit more if Sparrow had been given more motivation or backstory that wasn't just related to his drug use. So, I just would have liked a bit more nuance. That doesn't mean I wanted to feel empathy for Sparrow. 
I just wish that his motivation for doing what he'd done had been a little bit more complex or fleshed out. Another thing to note is that the stereotypes against methamphetamine use in particular put people off getting help. So, you know, when you want people to get help and like even the campaigns that are designed to encourage people to get help are filled with stereotypes and unhelpful messages, it just means that people don't Mm. get the support that they need. So, yeah, that's, that's why I feel that way. So that's why I've only, I've given this four stars. I really enjoyed reading it and I certainly would recommend it, but I just encourage readers to have a little bit of a critical eye when it comes to that element of the story. Okay, so as usual, on our website, there will be some resources that we will link to. These resources will include uh, recently released guidelines from Mindframe about talking about alcohol and drug use in the media. The same trauma resources as the ones we've posted for the Acomath episode. Some resources about drug and alcohol use. And resources about helping children who have experienced trauma. If you like this book and you're interested in reading something similar, I wouldn't say I've come across anything that's exactly like this, but the book did remind me of mm. Gillian Flynn's thrillers, even though they are adult rather than young adult. So Gone Girl, Dark Places and Sharp Objects all spring to mind as being quite similar in terms of pace and the the sort of psychological mm. elements that happen. Um, yeah, I, I quite mm. enjoyed them. So, yeah, if you enjoy this, you might enjoy books. Sarah Epstein's written another book called Deep Waters, which I have on my shelf. It is on my TBR. I will probably push it on you one day, Elise. Oh, I'm sure. That's okay. (laughs) Your recommendations are usually very good, so I'm quite happy with that. Likewise. Um, And as I've said before, I don't read anything remotely scary, usually. So I did have to Google books that are similar to these. And I found a list from Inside a Dog website of Love Oz YA books that are all about trails and crime. So I'll be posting that as well on our website. And in terms of voices from lived experience, so on our blog, we will be linking to two articles. So one is from ABC News Australia, where people who have experienced gaslighting talk about that experience and what it meant for them. Um, particularly in a domestic violence type of context. We'll also be linking to an article from Body and Soul where Sarah Vogler talks about her experience with addiction to ice or crystal methamphetamine. So Sarah features on um, a documentary series, which I believe is on SBS Australia, um, which is all about getting help and support for addiction. So I'd Mm -hmm. certainly recommend checking that out if you want the perspective about stereotypes and how that might impact on somebody and their help-seeking journey. And that's all for today. Next week is our final review episode for season one. Be sure to check it out. Mm -hmm. We will also be reviewing another thriller, but maybe one that is a little bit older than this one. So for all of the resources and information that we've mentioned before, check out our website, novelfeelings.com. We post an episode summary, links to further reading for each episode. And we also have a mental health resources page to learn more about getting support for yourself or somebody you care about 
or to learn more about mental health in general. If you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to ask us a question or to chat, you can send us a message via our website. To keep up to date with us, remember to follow us on social media. So you can check us out on Twitter at novel underscore feelings and Goodreads via goodreads.com slash novel underscore feelings. If you would like to follow my general thoughts on the books that I love or maybe not love so much, I am on Instagram at pavedwithbooks with an extra S. Yes, everybody go and follow Priscilla on Instagram, please. That would be great. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, that wraps us up for our episode today. Thank you for listening to our review of Small Spaces. I hope you can tune in for our season finale next week. Yeah, it'll be fun. See ya.